On this week's episode of the High Impact Man podcast, we're going to introduce you to a man by the name of Fred Williams. He goes by Honeypot in the gloom, and he is going to just share how F3 has kind of grabbed a hold of his life and and how he has fully embraced uh, every aspect of, of the F3 lifestyle, all three Fs and how it's impacted his life. And he's also going to share a ton of information with you about plant-based diets, which uh, he has really embraced in his life, and he feels it's had a positive impact on his health and his wellness. So it's going to be a lot of great information there as well. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High Impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. Now, what you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Welcome to another episode of the High Impact Man podcast, and uh, this is episode, should be episode 53. Yeah. Uh, And if you've been following along with the podcast, uh, the last two episodes, 51 and 52, marked 52 straight weeks with separate uh, episodes, which made one year. And so this episode, episode 53, will be kicking off- Year number dose. Year number dose. So in the Netflix, you know, kind of genre, this is episode two season, no wait, season two, episode one, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. All right, cool. My name is Nevin Gorky. I'm your host. I'm known as DFib in the gloom with my F3 brothers, and I'm joined as always by my uh, right-hand man, Dial-Up. He's uh, uh, also known as Troy Klinger. I did that last time, too. I got them reversed. That's all right. Troy Klinger, Either otherwise one. known as Dial-Up. I'll answer. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we, we're welcoming you to the podcast again. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we're, our guest today is Honeypot. Honeypot's coming coming to us from the St. Louis area. Um, he's going to get to tell his story, and he's he's a high impact man. He's run fifty marathons. He's a physician in uh, GI medicine, and he has a passion uh, for uh, for that and for helping people through their diets and stuff like that. And we're just going to get to know him, and uh, we'll get to know him along with you. So, Honeypot, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. What's the weather like there in uh, St. Louis? It's actually warmed up. It's a little cool today, but over the weekend we had 70, so we're kind of hoping maybe we're going to be done with the winter, though it has been a fairly uh, fairly mild winter overall. Yeah, it has. It's been uh, uh, pretty one of the warmest winters I remember here ever. Yeah. Although we got three inches of snow last <laughs> night. Yeah. <laughs> went from, yeah, Sunday I ran in shorts and a t-shirt, and today... Snow on the ground. Right. Snow on the ground. Go figure. Typical. <clears throat> yeah. But it's almost all melted already. Yeah. We got like three inches last night and it's almost all melted. So in Pennsylvania, we can have all four seasons in a single day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that out here. And we, I think, typically get, you get our weather about 72 hours later. Yeah. It uh, just kind of moves across the country. Yep. Yeah. Just a little bit colder here. We haven't hit 70, but we've been 50s in the winter. I think. Anyway. All right. Well, Honeypot, tell us uh, how you got started with F3. Uh, who EH'd you and how you got the name Honeypot? Well, uh, I was actually one of the original Redwoods in uh, St. Louis. So I've always been, as you said, someone interested in uh, working out. I, I always like to say I've never was a great athlete, never lettered in anything. But ever since I've been young, I've always cycled, run a bunch of marathons, done things like that. And actually for probably three, four years before 
uh, joining F3, I was kind of unbeknownst to me doing F3 workouts on my own, you know, just going, I never liked gyms, I find them kind of sterile and boring, so I'd just go to some local park, if I was on vacation, whatever park was around, and, you know, just do the F3 kind of stuff, jump up and down on stuff, I had some, you know, weights I'd keep in my truck and some bands, and just, you know, kind of be creative, mm -hmm. think of all the kinds of things you can do, just like we do every day. And so in the uh, summer of 2017, I was listening to the Art of Manliness podcast when they had uh, an episode about F3, and it just totally resonated with me. I said, that is awesome. I have been looking for this kind of thing for years. Mm -hmm. And so I Googled, you know, F3 St. Louis, and there was absolutely nothing. And quite frankly, I forgot all about it. And then my wife and I went to Charleston, South Carolina in uh, late September just for kind of a long weekend to get away. And we were staying right on King Street, and I went for a run and came across, which I now am pretty sure was probably a convergence. It was a Saturday, mm -hmm. and I came across this park, and there were like 20 American flags and probably 200 guys with F3 shirts on. And I said, oh, that's those F3 guys I remember hearing about. And I uh, went back to the hotel when I was done running, Googled um, F3 St. Louis, and I think this was one of those Godwink type of things starting next weekend. F3 was coming to St. Louis. Wow. So there I was, and I was one of the originals in October of uh, 2017 and have been there ever since. That's cool. That's, how many guys that's did really you, awesome, yeah. How many guys did you start with, your first beatdown? Oh, were... about... Um, I would say uh, 10 to 12, if I remember right. Um, and then we, we very quickly developed this core group of guys that were probably in the high single digits. But I, I remember um, it got kind of, you know, one of the problems with starting in St. Louis, as with any cold weather area, is, you know, uh, it got cold very quickly after October. And I think some of the people kind of drifted away. And there was uh, just this kind of cadre of us that just, Kept working out. I remember more than once, um, you know, showing up with one other guy, two other guys. I remember yeah. one time in particular, I was the queue and I was it. Nobody else showed up, which I did go out and do my whole workout. Yeah. But, um, um, and then when the spring came, it started to grow a little bit and a little more and a little more. And then we added a second AO and then, you know, it just kind of hit that critical mass. And then, you know, here we are, uh, whatever, five and a half, six years later. And, uh, we don't even know how many AOs we have in the greater St. Louis area. You know, we're up to about eight regions. I, I would imagine probably 70, 80 different AOs. So yeah. it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's really been quite remarkable. Yeah, that that yeah. Everyone knows about the uh, rapid expansion of the St. Louis area. And you were we were talking be offline. You were crediting GMO with all of that. People usually most people know GMO. He was a remarkable guy. First of all, he's a, just a very kind, engaging man. Um, I, I really think that he probably in the early days probably EH'd 50% of the people that went and he just, you know, was relentless about getting people to come out. And then when he finally became Nantan, uh, as I understand from talking to GMO, his whole career at first Monsanto and then Bear has been putting together shared leadership teams. So he basically took what he does as a profession and developed a real leadership team here that got the right people in the right places to really make st louis grow and i think he kind of ran it a little bit like a business expected results and it just kept um kept growing and growing yeah sweet um now dial up and i usually try to take a guess at why guys got their f3 name um the honeypot what do you think dial up Ooh, maybe I mean, uh, hmm. 
So I, I, my mind first, for some reason, goes to some connection to Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Well, you're, that's you're a close. Good one. I'm that's close. A good okay. One, yeah. uh, I was thinking beekeeper, well, so but you know, he. But he, I saw his bio. I know he's not a beekeeper unless he held held that back. But yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, tell no, us. Tell you us. Got us it, that's it. I'm a beekeeper. Oh, oh I got there it. There it is. Uh, well done. Sweet. No, no pun intended. And I got to tell you, when <laughs> we were in the, when I got put in the middle of the circle, I was, you know, not one of the first people to people to get named. So I kind of figured out what was going on, and you know, they asked me about myself, and I told them I was a, a gastroenterologist and a beekeeper. And when they came up with honeypot. <laughs> I thought, you know, compared to all the names that you could come up with for a gastroenterologist, I was like, I can <laughs> yeah. take that. That, right, is, yeah. that is fine. Yeah, right. I go immediately to Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, could have been Stinger or you know, whatever. Yeah, well, Honeypot's kind of good, too, because, like, they call the um, – there's a tie to GI there, right? Because the, um, the trucks that go around and clear out the porta-potties and septic systems, a lot of times they call that the honey dipper or the honeypot. I did not know oh, that. I, so, I did not know that. Yeah, so – He's dropping knowledge on us. I yeah. didn't know that either. Yeah. At least back in the valley where I grew up, that was the term <laughs> we had for it. <laughs> you guys are pooping honey out there. All yeah. right. Cool. Well, Honeypot, how old are you? I didn't ask you that before. I am 63. 63, and you've run 50 marathons? Is that right? Yeah, I haven't run one for about 10 years, but I kind of got into it in my uh, mid-20s, and then for a period kind of in my 30s and 40s, it just was really my... Uh, my thing was running marathons. That, and I've uh, always been a cyclist. I, I kind of go back and forth between mountain biking and and marathoning. Um, but about ten years ago, I kind of decided it, it, it's tough on the body, and just yeah. got tired of all the chronically <laughs> aches and pains, the knees, the back, and all that. So, kind of had yeah. enough. Did you do a lot of the same marathons over and like repeatedly, or did you uh, kind of do a lot of different ones across the country, or? Um, both. Like I did Chicago five times. There's a trail marathon here near St. Louis. I did five times. Um, but also it was a fun thing for my wife and I to do. You know, we would go away for a long weekend, you know, San Diego, San Francisco. I managed to run Boston one time. And it's always fun to go away on marathon weekend. The the, the cities are usually just really uh, exciting. You know, yeah. you have thousands of people coming in and the uh, city is ready for it. So it's kind of a fun way to get away and just see part of the country. What are some of your favorite ones? I've, I've ran a few marathons. That's why I'm, I'm just curious. I like to hear. Number one, hands down, is the Big Sur Marathon in uh, California. Ah, I thought you might say that. The Big Sur. Uh, that's, just, that's one I've debated on. I, I kind of want to do it, but I kind of don't want to do it because it's mostly uphill and, and headwind most years. So It, it is very tough. Like very in fact, one. even uh, you know, at the um, you know, night before when they have the meeting, they just said, you've got to be really careful you will you will burn yourself out if you go out too quickly because yeah. at about mile 12 there's actually a two mile 500 yeah. foot uh climb yeah um and so but uh you know I, fortunately I, I heeded their advice and just uh, ran a nice slow easy marathon and thoroughly enjoyed it i mean you're running along with the pacific ocean to your left yeah. you can hear the seals barking i mean it, it's really just an amazing marathon um, another one I really like, which is very similar, is Grandma's Marathon up in Duluth. Um, um, what is it? Duluth, uh, Minnesota, right? It's Duluth, Minnesota. Excuse yeah. me, Michigan. Yeah. I, Minnesota. Had, I had a couple of friends. Same that run thing. That they uh, they put you in uh, buses like they did in Big Sur, take you out twenty five miles, drop drop you off, and you run back, and you basically you ran the entire time uh, with uh, Lake Superior being to your side. So those are two of my uh, my favorites. Cool. And then I'd also say, um, you know, Chicago's great just from the standpoint of, you know, on a good day, you may have literally three quarters of a million people along the course. So it's just really exciting running through, you know, 
people after people. It's just fun. Yeah, that's very cool. So, what have you run? Uh, not nearly as I've I've done. I don't even know how many total I've done. Ten, eleven, something like that. I've done. Harrisburg, which is just you know our our state capital here in PA, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Scranton, and Boston, uh, several times. Oh, you did Boston, yeah. That, that's an amazing marathon, isn't it? Yeah, I I I grew really intrigued by the the history of it at at a young age, like when I was in high school and then starting college. Um, had a mentor who had had ran it multiple times and got hooked up with doing some training with him and and just started reading a lot of the history and just I was just fascinated by it so it was, yeah. it was like a goal i even have it in my high school yearbook run boston marathon so same thing it took me a while to qualify but i finally finally made it yeah it's a it's a cool one for sure yeah all right very good i um what i'd like to do is let's let's get to know you a little bit better tell us about where you grew up and what that was like what was your family life like and where you grew up what, what was like what was that like so i um grew up i was born in the boston area and uh i uh parents had me and my older sister and we lived there till I was 13 and then literally pretty much came home one day and my dad said we've been transferred to Kansas. So I ended up leaving Boston and living in the Kansas City area until I went away to college. And, uh, you know, I had your basic uh, childhood, nothing too spectacular. I had two, you know, great parents, just kind of your normal middle-class American kind of family, but nothing, uh, nothing out of the ordinary. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't a particularly good athlete. I, you know, I ran on the quote unquote ran on the cross country team, but um, you know, never was on the varsity or anything like that. So just kind of your average growing up. And then I went away to college to um, University of Rochester up in upstate New York, mm. and uh, got a degree in biology. And then um, while I was there, kind of decided I wanted to go to med school, and was fortunate enough to get into Johns Hopkins down in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So I did med school and residency at Hopkins. And then decided I wanted to specialize in uh, GI, so I went down to Dallas uh, to um, University of Texas Southwestern, where I did my uh, GI fellowship. And then back way back in med school, I had uh, taken a, uh, a an Air Force scholarship to pay for med school. So when I got out of all my training, they uh, fortunately put me at a great place. I ended up doing four years down in San Antonio at Wolford Hall Medical Center, which at the time was a massive medical center. It was like a 900-bed hospital, and uh, I really lucked out. I was in the Air Force from 91 to 95, which, as people can recall, was a very peaceful time. Yeah, the, yeah. the first Gulf War had just ended, yeah. and uh, you know, other than I think they had some of the um, uh, air war in uh, over Kosovo and all. There was no, you know, it wasn't like uh, everything that's gone on in the last 20 years. So I basically put on a blue uniform and was a gastroenterologist for four years. Um, got out of there. Um, my wife was, I met my wife in um, Baltimore and she really wanted to go back to the East Coast and I really couldn't find a job around Baltimore. So we ended up going to uh, South Carolina to Greenville, which is a wonderful city. And would have been very happy to stay there, but the practice I was in had a lot of issues. And just at about the time I was saying, okay, I need to find a new practice, an old friend of mine called me up from St. Louis and said, hey, we're looking for a partner. And you and I, um, you know, always known each other over the years and went out to St. Louis, interviewed. We liked each other, and I've been there now for almost 25 years. So that's kind of my life in a very... <laughs> short period yeah, wow yeah. you skipped right through a whole lot of years there that's cool that's all right <laughs> so um you met your wife in baltimore how did you meet your wife dial up loves these stories <laughs> so i was a um a resident in internal medicine and she was actually a, a nurse on uh, the bone marrow transplant floor 
and um, we just started working together. And um, bone marrow transplant is a just a extremely difficult, demanding part of medicine. Um, I mean, it's it's really kind of uh, back when I was there. I'm not sure it's a whole lot better now, but basically. 75% of the people admitted to the floor to get a bone marrow transplant for leukemia um, did not leave alive. And they were typically there for weeks on end. And you would get paired up like a, you know, a nurse and a doctor would always take care of the same patient day after day after day and, you know, get to know their family and all. And my wife, Tina, and I were paired up on a couple of patients and we just kind of, you know, hit it off and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, started dating from there. So actually, uh, basically met each other over taking care of unfortunately extremely desperately ill patients and been yeah. together ever since yeah i think the the leukemics they get a bone marrow transplant correct me if i'm wrong but i think they have to be allografts right yes so exactly and so you get all the you're absolutely right and uh, you know i remember uh the uh the faculty member who um oversaw the bone marrow transplant program he was the one in charge of signing up the uh, uh the patient for the transplant and he said to me if I, by the time I was done, the entire family was not bawling, I had not done my job appropriately. Right, yeah. Because, you know, you had to tell them pretty much in six weeks, you have a 75% chance you're going to be dead. Yeah. And even if you make that 25%, you're going to have all these other terrible problems, graft versus host, right. infections, and on and on. And, you know, it was, it was just brutal. And, you know, the people you're doing this with are, you know, I took care of as young as, you know, like two-year-olds up to a bunch of young people. And, mm -hmm. you know, it just breaks your heart. I mean, it was just, it's a brutal way to, to yeah. die, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, I, I, I'm a PA. I worked in um, outpatient, an outpatient cancer clinic for five years. The rest of my career has been in cardiac surgery. But uh, we had a we have a bone marrow transplant program here. Um, did some allografts, but mostly they were autographs. But uh so the difference for those listeners... I was going to say, can you do some translation yeah, for our so, listeners? <laughs> so an autograph means it's your own bone marrow. So believe it or not, you could stimulate the cells in your marrow to, to uh, produce more, and you could kind of give it like a blood donation and uh, stem cells. And, uh, and what that does is then your body makes it back up so your bone marrow is healthy. If you're treating a different type of cancer other than a blood cancer, because of blood cancer, the disease is in the marrow. But if it's not in the marrow, then... Uh, what you do is you can give higher doses of chemotherapy because the danger about chemotherapy is it kills your bone marrow. And that's how a lot of people will die. If you give too much chemotherapy, I'm, I'm kind of making this really simple, but um, so if you give yourself back your own bone marrow, there's no rejection, but uh, like a, like a blood transfusion, if you get somebody else's bone marrow, it's even more than a blood transfusion. You, 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 if like he said, if you survive, it's um there's a lot of kind of rejection type stuff. That's the graft versus host disease stuff, yeah. which affects the GI system. So that's why you had to get involved, right? I'm sorry, you broke up a little. I said, it, which that involves the GI system, you know, all these, uh, the chemo and everything. That's how you got involved. Yeah. So a lot of the, well, actually when I was there as a resident, I was just kind of under the direction of the, um, um, the you know faculty um, as an internal medicine resident. It wasn't only until later when I was in oh, GI right. that we took right. Sorry here. about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you're right. There's a lot of GI issues with those patients. Right. Um, absolutely. Well, you're. I right. think things have gotten better compared to 35 years ago, but it's still a pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, process. Your wife must be a special person uh, uh, taking care of those kind of patients. Yeah, that's what I think kind of attracted me, and I 
I can tell you that her love language is definitely um, giving. I can see that when she gets uh, somebody under her wing, that, that is when she is happiest, um, is taking care of people and reaching out to them. That's really kind of what makes her tick. So I got, I got a little bit of a theory I got to test out here. So now you're, you're, you're in your 60s now. How many children do you have? Two. Two, two. girls. And they're adults now, right? Yeah, 30s, early 30s. So when they left the house... Did your wife need to nurture you then? Is that, you know, because I think that's what happened with me. And then uh, you know, I wasn't working out, so my wife had to get a dog. So how did that work for you? <laughs> um, when you say nurture, I mean, just kind of feeling like she had to kind of love on somebody new? Yeah, sort of. Um, like like uh, uh, exponentially. <laughs> I have a follow-up question we'll circle back to then, but go, okay. keep, keep this part going first. <laughs> no, I'd actually have to say that um, my wife is somewhat complex in that she's also, though she's very loving and, you know, watching her, um, you know, with other people, and she, but she's also, when it comes to our family, kind of the, um, the drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. She also mm-hmm. doesn't um, uh, take a lot of crap and mm-hmm. um, kind of puts you in your place and tells you, uh, um, you know, how it is. So she, she's complex. I wouldn't say that I got a lot of extra nurturing okay. uh, right. from her. I think one of the main things she does for me is certainly keep me from feeling sorry for myself. Whenever there's a problem, she's like, oh, you know, get over it. Not, yeah. <laughs> so, which I think can be useful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, what was your question, Dad? <laughs> so I think your words were, I wasn't working out, so she right. got a dog. That's right. <laughs> and we're not talking like working out like fitness-wise. Like, No, no, no. I wasn't working out as far as somebody to nurture. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she got a dog. Yeah, so uh. I got a little mini Labrador now. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway. Well, all right. Well, that's that's pretty cool. So um, you, got, you got to St. Louis and... Uh, you're a GI doc. Now, one of the things that you're passionate about is is diet and how that can help people. Um, so why I'm just going to leave it at that. Why don't you explain that for us? Well, it's kind of been a, you know, it's, it's been so long now, I can't remember quite how I um, I started to get interested in that. But, uh, um, you know, I used to be a very conventional physician. You know, it was all about the pharmaceuticals. And I remember now, I wish I could track this woman down and profusely apologize to her. I remember us having an argument. Uh, she was a patient of mine because she wanted everything to be done natural. And I said, you know, why would you want to do that when you've got these pills that will, you know, kind of the real reductionist view of medicine that, you know, if you look at a lot of pharmaceuticals, you know, they started out from plant-based substances yeah. that they then made into medicines. And I was like, why would you want to take something up, you know, something out there they don't really know exactly what it is when I've got this pill right here mm-hmm. that does everything you need. And, and uh, you know, and I don't know how I morphed over the years, but now, you know, little by little, I just became more and more interested in nutrition. And I think part of it may have been as I read more and more about fueling my body for marathoning and mountain biking that I kind of went from the Mediterranean diet, paleo diet, and then probably eight to 10 years ago, I um, really went completely plant-based. So I've been whole food plant-based now for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, uh, I attribute that a lot to my uh, my primary care doctor who was here in St. Louis. Um, we got to be friends and we go out to dinner every now and then. And I would kind of, um, you know, we'd argue about like paleo versus whole foods. And, and he beat me. He finally just convinced me that he was right. And so here I've been, my wife and I, actually both my girls, We've all been really plant-based now for, for getting on toward a decade. Wow. 
Well, I got a number of questions about that. Do you have any questions right after? Well, that? I, I was just thinking we got to get him hooked up with Bones. He'd be uh, right. <laughs> probably a great discussion to, to be on with Bones. Right. Are you familiar with Bones? Um, yes, I am. Yeah. So we had him on. He was a guest, and I asked him what's the best diet is, and basically it's meat. Yeah. So <laughs> he's yeah. at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> did, did, I don't know whether you saw it or not, uh, either of you, but I, I I can't remember who published the uh, the article, but I guess they were expressing some concerns of – the big move towards, you know, keto, uh, diets and, and starting to see some increased risk of, you know, cardiac sure. risk yeah. factors, uh, from that now that they've studied a little bit more, more long-term. So absolutely. In fact, yeah. the all, you know, there's been some studies that have come out looking at what they call all core, all cause mortality, which basically is, you know, how often do people die when they're doing anything, you yeah, know, right. whatever that may be. Um, and they found that the all-cause mortality of people who stay on long-term on a keto diet is not good. It's right. elevated. Yeah. Um, so. Well, so if uh, that answers that question, basically. So I have a couple questions in regard. So basically a, a plant-based diet, you're talking about a vegan, right? Is that the other word for it? So well, I hate the word vegan. For two reasons. One is it kind of connotes some tree hugging, you know, um, <laughs> long haired hippie in a tie dye do shirt type yeah. of thing. Um, but the other thing is there is a lot of very, very unhealthy vegans. Yeah. Um, you know, you can eat a whole bag of potato chips and you are a vegan, but um, that's not very healthy. So, hence, it's kind of a mouthful, but whole food, plant based mm -hmm. means, you know, basically, I believe that human beings were designed to eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, whole grains, and legumes, uh, mm -hmm. beans, and that's what we really were made to to eat. And actually, I could be convinced, I mean, I, I know the pure whole food types say, you know, human beings were never meant to consume any meat. I could be convinced that um, we are uh, manufactured to, to eat small amounts of, of meat, but I think we were definitely plant-based. I mean, it's it was hard. I mean, it, it was eons before, you know, men started figuring out how to use bows and arrows and spears and all. So, you know, maybe every now and then you caught a a fish or a rabbit or whatever, but day in and day out, you were basically eating what you could forage for. And I think yeah. that's really where we came from. And, you know, certainly I, the few things I use to support that is, you know, you look at our jaw structure, you know, most um, um, uh, uh, herbivores have jaws that can kind of go from side to side so you can chew on food. You know, we don't have big canines to rip things apart. Um, you look at our closest relatives, baboons, chimpanzees, orangutans, things like that. They are all um, uh, plant-based. And so, I mean, I think overall we were meant to have a predominantly plant-based diet. Though, again, whether a little meat now and then was so bad, I, you know, I'm not sure. But uh, I, I think the basis of us uh, was plants. And I would just say, uh, you know, no offense to bones, but, I mean, I think the whole concept of living on nothing but meat just goes against everything we know about human physiology and longevity and whatnot. Huh. Well, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I have heard that before, but there's, I mean, there's so many, so many different diets being proposed out there yeah. for various different reasons, mostly for weight loss, but also for, you know, muscle mass gaining and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I guess my next question is in, in a whole food plant-based diet, do you have to take supplements to make sure that you get the essential amino acids and fatty acids that you may be missing? No, basically if you look at, um, uh, if you eat, they, they, first of all, let's talk about protein because that's always the first thing that comes up. Where do you get your protein? Right. They've done study after study, and they have shown that if you are eating uh, whole grains and beans, lot, you know, reasonable amounts of nuts and seeds, even um, vegetables 
are often 10%, you know, 15% protein. Now, you know, if you eat some broccoli, you may only get like three grams of protein. But again, throughout the day, if you're eating all these different foods, they have done many studies that show that whole food plant-based people get all the protein they need. Um, um, and, uh, you know, the ones that don't get enough are the ones that are living on, you know, potato chips and, and right, junk. Sure. But there's, there's plenty there. Um, secondly, in terms of omega-3s, you can actually get those fairly well through things like flax seeds, chia seeds, whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I, I could say certainly that would be one area to supplement. But I think the, the hands down, the number one supplement that anybody who's plant-based has to take is B12. Um, you just don't get enough of that in your, um, uh, in your diet. Um, and, and you can actually get seriously ill from that. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, so that's, you get, you get enough protein. I'll just stick with the protein for now. You get enough protein to be healthy, but what if somebody wants to really put on a lot of muscle mass, you know, that for performance reasons or whatever? Um, you know, you bring up a valid point there. I mean, I think you can do it with eating a lot of beans and whole grains, but that's an area where, you know, I, I would say, um, uh, for someone who's like a bodybuilder or whatever, you may want to use something like a, you know, a plant-based supplemental uh, shake. But I would point out um, one of the best movies out there. Um, have you ever seen the movie The Game Changers? Yep, yep, I saw it. Um, and the man who builds himself as the world's strongest man is completely plant-based. Yeah. So it, it can be done. And, you know, you also look at, you know, gorillas are plant-based. So you can eat enough plant-based foods right. to give you all the protein that you need. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. The game changers, I think, if I'm not uh, mistaken, it's a documentary. Um, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, makes a couple appearances in there. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I don't um, think I don't think he's. And in fact, just as an aside, I told you that yeah. my uh, primary doctor who turned me on to this diet, Jim Loomis, is one of the principals in the movie. Um, <laughs> he moved to Washington to be part of a large uh, medical clinic there called the Barnard Medical mm -hmm. Clinic, where they. Um, they really encourage people to eat healthy and more healthy lifestyle. He's the medical director there, uh -huh. and he had a big part in the the movie. So it's kind of nice nice to see my old doctor up on the big on the big screen. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that documentary Arnold was. I, I, if I remember correctly, he he's not totally plant based, but he'll take like a certain days of the week or certain. I can't recall time but, intervals. Yeah, have. and I think it's you know it's what you do. Um, you know, the vast majority of the time right. um, type of thing. Yeah, cool. So another question in regard to that, um, and this is more personal for me because I'm healing from surgery right now. So uh, I know you need a, a lot of different nutrients to heal from surgery, but protein is one of them. But you, but you think I could get enough of that and just plant-based? Yes. And actually one of the things they brought up in the, uh, the Game Changers is that a lot of professional athletes – are going plant-based because, in fact, um, when they did that movie, uh, over half of the Tennessee Titans were eating predominantly plant-based because right. they said, you know, if you're in the NFL, you have a 100% chance that you're going to be injured within the year. Now, yeah. it may not be a serious injury, but what they find is with all the antioxidants and phytonutrients and all that are contained in plants, you heal much quicker. And I certainly have found that, that my healing is, is very quick. And also, being on a predominantly meat diet tends to be much more pro-inflammatory. Right. So you get a very good anti-inflammatory diet from being from being plant-based. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because uh, it also, I think, plays a role in certain um, medical issues. Does it not? I mean, do you tr do you uh, treat your patients this way? I do. I, I spent. You know, I've kind of gotten a little bit of a reputation now in St. Louis as the the GI guy to go to for 
if you want more nutrition and counseling. It's, it's really kind of a shame that GI is, um, most gastroenterologists aren't real interested in nutrition. Yeah. And I spend a large amount of time talking to people. And again, I, um, I try to meet people where they are, you know, trying to, um, you know, I don't try to make every single person into a plant, completely plant-based eater, but I just try to push them in that direction. Um, that, you know, the more, you know, if you want to eat your meat, great, but, you know, really start loading up on the, on the plant-based foods. And the one other thing I was saying, and I, I think, you know, there, like we said, there's different worldviews. You got the paleo guys, the keto guys, you've got the carnivores, you've got guys like me. But I think if there's one truism in, in nutrition that everybody, everybody agrees with is we need to quit eating all the junk food, yeah. all the yeah. highly processed food. And, you know, they estimate now 70% of all calories in the United States are, are, are processed food. And we wonder why people are sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole problem. You know, start there. After you get there, we can arm wrestle about how much meat you're supposed to eat or not eat. But, yeah. you know, if, you know, 70% of your diet is, you know, highly processed junk food, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Is there less, uh, less risk for colon cancer? Absolutely. There is, um, I don't know of any disease that goes up with eating a whole food plant-based diet. And in fact, there's a wonderful guy I like to listen to. His name is Kim Williams. Uh, he, um, was the former, um, president of the American college of cardiology. Mm -hmm. And he's an interesting man. He's an African American. And he likes to say, you know, he he said, I grew up on the South side of Chicago and probably should have been a gangbanger, but somehow I managed to, um, weave my way through that to become, um, you know, a very well-known position. But he said, it's interesting. I am not known as the first African American to be president of the American college of cardiology. I'm known as the first vegan to be president <laughs> of the American College of Cardiology. Yeah. And he likes to say that there's two types of cardiologists. There are vegans and there are ones that have not read the medical literature. Because uh-huh. he said, if you've read the literature, you will realize that all of this heart disease is all due to all the saturated fat in animal products. Yeah. Are and you junk f- food. Right. Are you familiar with Dean Ornish's uh, work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, they're they're all in the same lineage. Dean was one of the you know the kind of the pioneers of the whole world, right? Yeah. So for our listeners, Dean Ornish, um, I'm going to try to make this really quick. It had to be like late '80s, I think it was. He did a study. who took, I think it was 100 people that had known heart disease by cath. They took half of them, treated them the American Heart Association recommendation way, which was a certain percentage of fats and proteins and carbohydrates diet as well as quitting smoking and all that stuff and he took the other 50 now he did take him to some retreat to teach him like right meditation and relaxation techniques but uh, in florida put, nice weather too was it in florida i think so uh, i don't remember <laughs> but uh it's a good place to go in the winter yeah but um they they were put on a, a very 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 low fat diet and it was a, a vegan diet or you know vegetarian diet uh and at the end of the year they studied them all and uh not only did they the vegetarian group, for lack of a better word, uh, not progress in their disease, but for the first time ever, they saw reduction in the size of plaques, which they thought what, didn't think was possible. But uh, that was before the invention of statins and the use of statins. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, you're absolutely right. That was one of Dean's uh, studies, and it's amazing that that study was out there for years before anybody really took right. um, note of it. And the other thing I would say about a heavily, I think the data is pretty overwhelming that a heavily animal product diet, including dairy, 
really increases your uh, risk of cancers in general. That right. there's no doubt about that, especially colon cancer. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm convinced that I'm on the right track. I, but I respect other people who um, who have different views. Yeah, I don't want to beat this to death, but uh, <laughs> inflammatory bowel disease does that the change of diet into a whole food plant based diet can help with that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there is a um, a wonderful study. A man in um, Japan, I can't remember his name now. He has a has done some studies where he takes people with inflammatory bowel disease. And he puts some on our medicines. You know, people have probably heard of things like Remicade and mm-hmm. Humira, which are these very potent anti-inflammatory drugs. And his theory is, you got to put the fire out. So he gets people on the medications right away, but then he gets them on an essentially completely plant-based diet. I think he allows them to have fish like once every other week or whatever it is. But basically, it's plant-based. Uh-huh. And then after so much, when they're in remission he takes them off of the medication and just keeps them on the diet. And the last study I read at two years, he had like a 92% remission rate or something like that. Mm. So there is data to support that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Huh? All right. Yeah. Yep. I got a question now. Go ahead, man. All right. You hear a lot of people doing cleanse, cleansing, right? Colon cleanse processes. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think that they're um, not necessary. And, um, you know, what I tell people for a cleanse, the best thing to do is eat a high-fiber diet and your bowels will move naturally. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, however you want to do a cleanse, orally or an enema or whatever, you're, it's not really changing anything. You're not kind of flushing all these toxins out of your body. And there have been some cases of people going in for enemas um, in these, you know, clinics and they put too much water in, they rupture their colon yeah. or whatnot. So, yeah, to me, the best way to cleanse your colon is to eat a healthy, high plant-based diet, lots of natural fiber. fiber, drink lots of fluid, exercise, and, and your bowels will cleanse themselves. Yeah, either that or go to your local Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Taco Bell. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah, yep. Run down a Foo Star buffet here and you'll be clear in no time. <laughs> All right. With that. <laughs> oh, well, so one more thing. I got, I, 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 I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. I may have, but I read a book a long time ago by a guy named Scott, Scott Duriff, Duriff, something like that. He was a uh, ultra marathoner and he was like the best. He won all these ultra marathons, including they run like ultra marathons through death Valley. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. That Western States. You know, the, I think black, what is that called? The Blackwater? I think it is. Those, yeah. yeah, yeah you, you can't yeah. run on the pavement. You have to run on the, the white lines or your sneakers will melt, that kind of thing. But anyway, he won all those things, but he, his book was like part, I'm not, I don't remember the title of it. His book was part biography, but part uh, proposing uh, a plant-based diet. He would, that's what he did. And his performance didn't suffer. In fact, he thought it got better. And he took it as far as being all raw. He wouldn't even cook his food, but um, yeah, in fact, the guy who said, you know, there was, I said, um, the man who bills himself as the strongest man was, um, uh, is plant-based. It was also another guy who has set the record for um, transversing the entire Appalachian Trail, the quickest in whatever it was, 40-something days. Mm-hmm. He's plant-based. So I think for both endurance and strength, there you, there's evidence out there that um, a plant-based diet can be very, very effective. Okay, and the lot, so just to wrap this up, you got to be smart about it, right? I mean, like you mentioned, you got to eat the right amount of beans and legumes, and that's you know, to make sure you get the right nutrient nutrients in. Yeah, you've got to eat a real whole food, plant based diet. If you're just on a bunch of uh, high caloric, low nutritional density uh, foods, you know, like potato chips or whatever, then yeah, it, it's not going to work. You've right. got to get the natural foods in there to make it to make it work. All right, very good. 
All right. So uh, back to F3. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is good because and there's yeah. a lot of guys out there listening to this. And that, I mean, diet is a huge thing in the F3 world. It's in the whole world. And, right. um, and so I think it's really good to get somebody who's really devoted his life to like studying this and yeah. treating this kind of stuff. So this kind of questions I think are, might be on some people's minds. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's, yeah. It's good. It's yeah. good to hear because yeah, if you pay attention to the the media and your friends that are trying this and trying that, like there's just so much uh, information and variation out there as far as yeah. ideas uh, and what people think think is right. So right. this is a, a nice way to educate folks on a on a plant based diet and uh, provide some of those. And diets. I would say, even if you're, you know, the the key thing I would say, and this is what I tell my patients, is even if you're not willing to give up animal products completely just add more natural foods you know um before you get the f3 thing i I tell patients you can really get lost in the weeds with nutrition but here's my three pieces of advice that i think are are reasonable and not too hard to understand one is eat more natural plant-based foods like we said fruits vegetables etc that's number one Mm -hmm. number two get rid of the junk food Number three, cut down on animal products. Um, and, I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, it's, you know, weighing out food or whatever. And, and I would say one other thing. If you are intent on eating animal products, the one group of foods I would strongly, strongly suggest stopping eating are um, deli meats, you know, the highly processed mm-hmm. foods, the bologna, salami, pastrami. You know, the World Health Organization has come out and said that they are a class one carcinogen. There is no doubt mm-hmm. that those things cause cancer. Now, we all love them. And, we, you know, back when I eat, used to eat meat, I mean, who doesn't like bacon and all that? But they're full of nitrates and nitrites and, and all that. Now, I know there are some of them that are not, but a lot of them are. Yeah. So if there's one area of, of meat that you want to get rid of or sharply curtail are the highly processed meats because they really are bad for you i eat a uh, lot of those in my life pastrami yeah i love <laughs> yeah pastrami. no i mean we love them they taste <laughs> great but, yeah. yeah oh man so. all right so uh as far as your f3 um life is concerned uh how how many days a week do you post what do those workouts look like usually three to five beat downs a week um you know Kind of um, multiple times a week. And what are those workouts like? Are they boot camp style workouts? Are they running? What you know? What do you guys do? We do all of ours are pretty much boot camp, but I also am in a shield lock, and twice a week we get there a half hour early and we go for a thirty minute ruck. Um, and then on the weekends, often um, you know I'll meet up with some guys to do some rucking. But mostly the the biggest thing for us, and uh, I think in St. Louis, has been to, just the beat downs. Yeah. Are you still biking? Yeah, I do on the weekends. Um, in St. Louis, it's kind of hard to bike in the winter. Not so much because of the cold, but because of the wet weather. The trails are just a mess. So I haven't been out in a couple months. But yeah, I'll, I'll be getting back to it soon. All right, cool. What's your uh, least favorite exercise? Uh, what is it? I am, I am very... My worst strength is um, like a rifle carry. I, I, I can... I can carry a coupon. If I can make it 50 yards, I'd be surprised. I mean, it just, I have no strength in that whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's tougher as you get older too. Your shoulders get less, um, I don't know what the word is, flexible. Yeah. More arthritis in your shoulders. and It's tough. Well, I remember one of the guys on truck stop, we had kind of a contest and he, and I watched him, I witnessed it, no BS. He did a rifle carry for three quarters of a mile. Yeah. Wow. It's a long way. 
Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was done in, like I said, 50, 60 yards. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, well. All right, cool. Yeah. So uh, F being part of F3 since 2017. So it's been almost six years, something like that. What, Pretty close, yeah. What uh, difference has it made in your life? I would say it is the most profound thing that has happened to my life. Um, you know, ranks right up there with marriage and children. It has absolutely changed my life in so many positive ways. You know, I, I, I've said to many, many people that one of my biggest regrets in life is that um, I didn't find F3 until I was 57 years old. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I think I was your typical sad clown. I worked hard. You know, physicians work a lot of hours. I had a nice family. But what I really did was I worked came home to the family, you know, I ran, which again was a solitary kind of uh, activity, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I went mountain biking, there were a couple guys I went with, but I was the classic guy where, you know, a lot of my friends were my wife's girlfriend's husband, so, you know, I, my wife would say, oh, this Friday night we're going out right. with the so-and-sos, and, you know, you'd have this superficial, meaningless conversation, you'd talk about sports or whatever, but, you know, and then I wouldn't see him again for another, you know, three or four months. And I have never had a group of male friends um, like in F3. And also, I can say, quite frankly, um, a lot of the guys I would run into on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they were nice guys, but I didn't really feel like um, they uh, that I meshed them well. First of all, I love the hard work I was. I mean, a lot, of, especially when you get to my age, a lot of guys just look at me and say, you're nuts. I'm not about to right. do any of that. But, <laughs> but, I mean, to me, there's nothing more enjoyable than getting out there and uh, – and, you know, really having a hard workout. Yeah. But uh, the kind of men that are drawn to F3, I've been looking for these guys my whole life. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're men who, they aren't perfect. They, I mean, we're all broken. We all have our demons. But right. they're, they're every day going out there trying to be 1% better. They're, they're willing to talk about it, you know, whatever their issues may be. I mean, you know, one thing I said to, um, I've said to many people until I joined F3, I've never told a guy that I love you. I mm. mean, um, and, you know, I'll text somebody like GMO and put a little heart at the end of it or something. <laughs> I mean, five years ago, that would have just been bizarre for me to do that. Yeah. And, I mean, I've never felt the, um, the love of men before like this, and it has totally changed my life. And having guys that I really trust and believe in, you know, you talk about the old thing, who are you going to call it to in the morning? Right. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where, I mean, I don't even know who I choose first. I mean, yeah. there's so many yeah. guys I could call that would be there. Um, it, it, and one of the things I think happens in F3 is, you know, you come the first time and you get your name. And I think there's a certain group to say, you know, this is a cult or whatever. This isn't for me. And that's fine. It's not for everybody. But the guys who keep coming back, there's a certain breed. There's yeah. a certain man that comes to F3. And that's the guy I want to be with. And the last thing I'll say about that, I've worked out, you know, I say what, Omaha, Knoxville, um, uh, Nashville, probably about six or seven places around the country in my travel. And no matter where you go, yeah. it's the same group of people. Right. You go out for cafeteria after, and you feel like you've known these guys for 10 years. Yes, that's yes. And cool that's what attracts me. I, I love the exercise, but I, I'm, I finally found my tribe after all these years. That's very cool. That's really well, well said. Well, huh? Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's definitely a community that, that reaches across the world now, right? And, yeah. Uh, we could... You could pop in. We, we've had the same experience yeah. downrange. We, you know, post to a workout and it's the same thing. It's like, man, 
It's like, we, like we knew these guys before somehow. Yeah. And yeah, I think we've agreed yeah. that we kind of are a cult, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just uh, they're good guys. I mean, and that's what it really comes. And the other thing I find, too, that validates what we do is I think our biggest supporters are our wives and, and uh, you know, yeah. The significant other. I mean, when the guys were at my house, my wife's always like, "Man, those are a great group of guys." Yeah. And you know, when I'm out with the F3 guys, you know, she's never worrying. You know, what are you doing out there? You know, what are you guys doing? And they're, they're you know, and I, the other thing I've learned, and I've learned so much in F3 and uh, you know, Q source and whatnot. Men need guardrails. Yeah. We need other men to kick our butts. Um, and I think when you're all by yourself, you have a tendency to kind of go a little off the rails. But um, when you're around a lot of good men, I, I think we kind of keep ourselves, keep each other in check and uh, um, just uh, keep us from maybe doing things we're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, accountability. Accountability. And, you know, Fred yeah. says it in QSARS, you know, you, the idea that you're going to, I'm going to hold myself accountable, That that's most Baloney. dumb idea there is no right. such thing if you could do that you wouldn't have the problem in the first place right yeah so. sounds like you guys you, you study q source do you guys have a, a how do you do it how how does your uh region incorporate q source into the whole thing we have left it up to each ao in fact i'm the q source q for our ao and typically most groups do it differently but you know most of our b towns i guess like most places is at 5 30 we meet at five and typically rock for a half hour and just discuss whatever the Q source was. And right. there's probably, I don't know how many, not every uh, AO is doing it, but I would estimate probably in the greater St. Louis area, there's probably, you know, 40, 50 different places that you can go for um, um, for Q source. And we try to all stay on the same week. So they're all kind of uh, the same. And actually sometimes they've even gone to more than one in the same week and you'll kind of get a whole different flavor. You know, you never know where the conversation yeah. is going to go. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, uh, He's 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 in right, man. He's just he's, bought into the culture and he's experiencing the he's advantage. Summarized the whole F three experience and culture yes. in the last uh, yeah. fifteen minutes of conversation. He, he found his tribe. He did. Yeah, no, it's you know a funny thing happened. Um, uh, I uh, won't mention their names, I guess, for a HIPAA, but two of my closest uh, um, uh, buddies in F three they signed up for colonoscopies. They both turned forty five, <sighs> and totally by total. Um, uh, luck of the draw, they ended up being done on the same day, um, almost back to back. One one, then another patient, the next one, and so. And all my nurses in the endoscopy center know all about F three. I think they get tired of hearing me talk about it. And these guys come in, and the two of them just lit up the whole place, yeah. just laughing and joking. And actually, one of our nurses, I've got her son involved. And after they left, they, a couple of the nurses just said you know, now I see why you talk about this. This is, yeah. you know, these are your guys and I, I see why you like them so much. That's cool. 45. I thought you didn't have to wait. I thought you, had, you, you could wait till you're 50. To New guidelines, no. right? Yeah. New guideline. Oh, unfortunately, wow. 20% of colon cancers now in the United States are in people under the age of 50. Wow. It's really frightening. It's because all that bad food out there. Yeah. All that bad food. Yep. Yeah. I had mine 50. I'm, yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to do it at 45. But right. so, you know, I was told since it was clean, I have no family history that I could uh, do the blood test now. What do you think about you, that? I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the blood test, um, it, uh, it picks up 90% of um, uh, colon cancers and 70% of significant polyps. 
which as a gastroenterologist, if I was missing 10% of colon cancers and 30% of significant polyps uh, when I was scoping people, I probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right. So I, I think that it's not accurate enough. I think, you know, sometimes I'll have like an 80-year-old, 85-year-old come on and say, I want a colonoscopy. I'm like, how about if we just do the stool test? If it 90% of surety, I can tell you don't have colon cancer. Is that good enough? So, I mean, I think it's good for people like that. But for young people, I just think you're, you're playing with fire. And just, how often it, do you get not, it? Every five years or 10? What's that, a colonoscopy? Yeah. If you have no family history and you had a clean colonoscopy, it's every 10 years. Oh, I got, I got four more years, brother. Yeah, yeah I got to schedule go. mine. <laughs> the guidelines changed when I was like 48, and they're like, you can have yours now. And I'm like, nah, I'll wait till mm. the big 5 So, Well, I got I, you know, the colonoscopy, more all, of all the different operations and things I've had in my life, that was probably the easiest oh good okay because yeah. it's, it's just it's just the cleanse you know go get some food star yeah <laughs> but you know all the miralax and the cleanse that's the miserable thing but you go. know they put you to sleep for it you wake up it's over you get to eat it's you know pretty good the, the, yeah. just just a side note too the the other thing that my pcp told me regarding the color guard test um is is that most in most insurances will only cover one screening for oh, you and I, so if you use that up on the color guard screening that that counts and so if it is positive and now you have to have a, a old school uh colonoscopy now i guess it's not covered that's how she described it to be so i have no I, idea i don't know yes. whether that's the case elsewhere. i, I or have not. not heard that before and that you may be right but no, I have, i've never heard that complaint from my patients so yeah. Yeah. though i see so few people that have color guard because we dissuaded dissuade right. people from having it but all right, very good. So, uh, any other questions? Something to ask your PCP before you sign up for the color guard test. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. But nope, I got nothing else. Just thank you for the reminder. I need to get my colonoscopy. Yeah, you better get in there, buddy. <laughs> I'm pre-respect. Yeah, he's he's uh, just a few months away. Creeping. Months. Yeah, I mean, you might as well just do it now. Yeah. All right. So, a um, couple, two more questions. One is, if you had to choose somebody that you would say has been your inspiration, your hero, or whatever in your life? It could be somebody from the distant past or currently or whatever. Who would you choose? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I think when I was a, a boy, I took judo lessons. And, you know, I actually, until this very moment, I never thought about it. But the, um, uh, the man who taught us was uh, American, but uh, he very much was enthralled with the whole... Uh, Asian um, view of, of, you know, the martial arts being not just a uh, self-defense, but it was a way of life. Yeah. And I remember this man, you know, every uh, day, and he actually was a, um, he was an ex-Marine. I mean, he's a pretty tough guy, but uh, he always talked to us about, you know, being right, uh, you know, right and wrong and doing the right thing. And even he talked about that, you know, if you got in a, a schoolyard fight, the point was not to hurt somebody, you know, throw them to the ground, hold them down and say, hey, knucklehead, mm -hmm. knock it off. But he, he was constantly talking about right and wrong and morality and being a man. And I think maybe uh, a lot of that I didn't comprehend it at the time at nine or ten years old. But as I've often thought back about him of, you know, he was one of the early influences in my life to kind of say, you know, this is how a man is supposed to be. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I do have another question before the last one. I want to talk to you about your faith. What, um, how has FF3 helped your faith? What kind of faith do you have? I, well, it's very interesting immensely. Um, I, uh, I have always been a Christian, but I would say not a, a practicing Christian, very practicing. I didn't go to church with my wife. Um, and when I got into FF3, 
industry and being around so many faithful men, mm-hmm. it has markedly increased my, my faith. Um, and just being around men. And I think that's another thing. You know, we live in a secular society. Mm-hmm. And to be in the circle of trust where you can actually say, I am a Christian, and people respect that, and, you know, you don't get eye-rolling and whatnot. So my faith has just skyrocketed. And then on top of that, with the help, you know, GMO spearheaded it, um, I'm in with a group. We are doing Exodus 90. Are you familiar with that? No. Uh. Exodus 90 is a Catholic um, a program where you start 90 days before, um, before uh, Easter, and you basically do um, aestheticism and prayer, so you give up all of the kind of worldly things. The thing it's well known for is um, for 90 days you take cold showers, but you give up sweets, alcohol, um, minimize, you know, you're not to be on the Internet except, you know, for work and, you know, paying bills or whatever. You limit TV, sports on TV. The basic idea is to get away from all this crap that people fill their lives with. Um, And then there's a daily prayer. You try to pray or at least read scripture an hour a day. Mm -hmm. And there were 43 guys in our group were broken down into little groups. So I have my group of six guys, and we're constantly texting each other, kind of giving each other encouragement. Twice a week you you fast. And the idea of it is to, to basically kind of clean out all the garbage. And what we really talk about is freedom, that this is really freeing you from all of the um, worldly things that we think are important, but they're not. And the reason that it's called Exodus is they kind of um, give the analogy of the um, the Israelites leaving um, um, Egypt and being freed. But what you are being freed from is all of these activities you have that are really at best neutral and probably destructive. And so that, you know, F3 led me to... To Exodus 90, and I would say the other part of this, which I you know have not even told my wife. My wife is Catholic, and I have been Protestant, and she is very, very Catholic. I mean, she goes to church uh, two or three times a week. She does adoration. All kinds. She's always doing something. Mm-hmm. And I've decided, partly as a gift to her, but as a gift to myself, I'm going to do RCIA and convert to Catholicism. Oh, wow. And, and um, you know, to me, I'm not sure it really changes. I, I'm one of the people that believes... Um, you know, yeah, there's doctrinal differences between Protestants and Catholics, but to me it's kind of like they're all on the same team. But I think that by doing that and the discipline of going through the um, becoming a Catholic, it's just going to deepen my faith. Wow. That yeah. had a big impact on him then, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, F, I mean, I attribute that ultimately to F3. I mean, F3 led to Exodus 90, and again, GMO was a big part of that. He was the one who approached me about Exodus 90 and and now Exodus 90 has led me to make the leap into um, wanting to become a true Catholic. And then when I told one of my daughters, she said, well, you know, mom's been praying that you do that for years. So. <laughs> I, I know you have your other question to ask, but I want to go back to something sure. that's that's been in my brain since he since he mentioned it. Is he, I forget your exact words. It was, it was a while ago in a conversation, but you talked about like it, it's essentially you were saying like what your life would be like had you had F3 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it, I think that's a great thing for so many guys to, to think about. I know, I know me personally, like my life would probably be so drastically different mm-hmm. had F3 been something that I found and was able to get involved with when I yeah. was 30 uh, yeah. or you know, 25, 30 years old. And, and just to think about like, man, how, how drastically different my life might be right now you know 
Um, and so it, it's, in, to me, it's inspiring to think about that, that now that F3 has been out there, what, 12, 12 years going on 13, right? 2011. Yeah. Um, you know, to think about that moving forward, that more and more guys, as we move along here, have had that opportunity to have F3 at a younger point in their life, hopefully yeah. than what, than what we have. Um, and one of the challenges I think we have, and we've talked about it, of, you know, I'd love to get 20-year-olds in it. The trouble is, I mean, I know when I was 20, there's no way I was getting up at 530 in the morning, especially on Saturday morning after having fun <laughs> all Friday. So how do you get, and I don't have the answer to this, how do you get F3 in front of college students? And Because I think that's when you really need it, especially when you have so many young men that, you know, maybe have not had a father and they, they need men in their life to kind of give them the guardrails, to kick their butt and say, no, that's not how men act. You don't do that. Right. And But, you know, I think we could have a profound effect. But, I mean, um, you know, we have very few men under the age of, say, 28 and that I know of in St. Louis. I mean, it's probably 2% of us or something, maybe. You, you perk the ears of our, of our tech guy here. You can't, you can't see him. He's off screen over here to our right, your left. Spielberg, he's, uh, he's our tech sound guy, and he's 20. 22. Uh, wow. And, awesome. And, yeah. and found us and got connected with us now. And, uh, it's been a year, right? Over a year now he's been with us and yeah. kicking butt doing awesome. We love having Well, He him. was just wandering around the streets aimlessly. We grabbed a hold of him. <laughs> and pulled him. <laughs> but we, we love it. It's, it's great having, you know, a young guy like him amongst us. So, uh, yeah. no, I think it's a really good point you make though. Honeypot. I would say much like, uh, spreading the gospel, it's best done by your peers. So if you could reach a couple guys that could, you know that are students, you know, on campus or whatever, and they could plant a shovel flag on campus, or a professor, or you know something like that. And, something uh, like that, yeah. yeah. Maybe a coach. Yeah, yeah, maybe a coach. Yeah. Um, but that, I think, I mean, I think that's that would probably be the best way to go about it. Which means you have to advertise in, on the campuses, which is probably a good idea yeah. for us. We haven't done that. I like it. We'll have to get our uh, expansion queue on that. Yeah. I got a couple guys in mind from Bloomsburg University. Maybe we could. Yeah, but you're right. Getting those get college connected. kids there early in the morning, is that's that's probably the um, biggest drawback. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, maybe four in the afternoon, you're done with classes before you go to dinner, you know, True. something like that. That may be a better, um, better time. True. All right. Last question for you. Um, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What's your message for the men of America? Um, that's an interesting one. I would say as be men, uh, man up. Uh, I think this culture has really denigrated us and has, you know, they talk about toxic masculinity and all this, but the world needs strong men, not, you know, not knuckleheads, not guys crushing beer cans on their forehead, but we need real strong men that are willing to stand up for right and wrong. And quite frankly, women want that. And and I think, you know, I love that old saying that, um, I'll have to think for a minute, um, uh, hard times make strong men, mm-hmm. strong men make good times, good times make weak men, mm-hmm. weak men make hard times. Yep. And I think we're in that weak men heading into hard times. But we need to, we as F3 men need to stand up and, and do what's right um, for as our own, not only personally, but as a group, and not be afraid to talk about that and to call other people out. I, I think um, we're in a society now that's overly uh, promiscuous. Oh, he cut out. Firmly so, believe that men are so much happier 
when they have guardrails and they know their limits. And, you know, as I heard someone say, if you take 10, like, you know, 20 year old kids and put them together, they're not going to sit around and figure out, gee, let's go figure out how we can go pick up trash on the street or something. They're going to, they're going to get into trouble. Um, It's just the way men are. We're kind of knuckleheads that way. So we, (laughs) we need to have, um, we, we need to tell men to man up and, and, and do what's right. Man up and don't do it alone. And doing, yeah. Don't do it alone. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well said, brother. Mm-hmm. Hey, we really appreciate you being on here. Uh, doctor, I think you gave us a lot of good wisdom and insight. And uh, I think that the impact you're having on your patients and your community and your family certainly means that we just spoke to another high impact man. We did. Starting off year two with a bang. Well, thank you. And a good one. Season two, episode one. There it is. <laughs> nice. Well, it's All been right. an honor to be on with you, too. Thank you so much. Yeah, the honor has been yeah, ours. Hopefully, for- uh, actually... I'm going to be, at least right now, my plan is to attend a conference in St. Louis in June. Well, look us up. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Do you guys have a beat down in the in the park where the arch is? No, we don't. Um, but there's one not too far away from there. But if, if you're there, we will personally pick you up and take you to wherever you need to be. We've got a, a beat down probably, I don't know, two and a half, three miles from there maybe. Yeah, I don't know where the hotel is. I haven't gotten that far yet. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely look you up. Be fun. All right, brother. Thank you very much. The honor was ours. Yeah, take care. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.